0: It is just a, a wonderful thing to do. And it's, you have that opportunity every night. So, take advantage of it. Quote, anyone can be a truth-sayer, even you. It's a matter of self-honesty about the nature of your own feelings. It requires that you have an inner agreement with truth which allows ready recognition. Quote, paradox is a pointer telling you to look beyond it. If paradoxes bother you, that betrays your deep desire for absolutes. The relativist treats a paradox merely as interesting, perhaps amusing, or even educational. each of us comes into being knowing who he is and what he is supposed to do. Small children know. It's only after adults have confused them that children hide this knowledge even from themselves. Uncover yourself. Quote, every sense you possess is an instrument for reacting to change. This next one, I've used a lot also. This, I don't, I don't know when these books came out. I, I read this thing, you know, 15 years ago. And um, a couple of these things have just sat with me, and this next one is one of them. And it's, it's actually the invitation to, like I said, to, um, to experiment with yourself. Quote. The mind can go in either direction under stress, toward positive or toward negative, on or off. Think of it as a spectrum whose extremes are unconsciousness at the negative end and hyperconsciousness at the positive end. The way the mind will lean under stress is strongly influenced by training. so the so the invitation there is to train yourself and the way you train yourself is you put yourself in positions of stress and pay attention so you know it's like volunteering for cooking or or clean up dishes you know when there's a deadline to get to the gig that's a great that's a great situation another Another quote that is very valuable for us to think about or to work with is a quote about fear. The the previous quote and this one were from this group of women called the Bene Gesserit. This is part of their training procedure. Quote, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear, I will permit it to pass over me and through me, and when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. We'll we'll be practicing that one tonight. Tonight there's an opportunity between 6 and 7.30 Um, provided by the children in the form of a walkthrough to um, look at some fears. Both the Fremen and the Bene Gesserit have specific practices in order to survive. The Bene Gesserit were involved in intrigue, spying, uh, assassinations. Uh, uh, You know, they had they had a bunch of different words describing all the different ways you could kill somebody with poison. They had poisons in food, poisons in drink. Um, They have this, one of their favorite, two of their favorite weapons, one was a gom jabar, which is a little needle with what they called um, hypercyanide, that that, uh, as soon as you scratch somebody with it, they were dead. And another weapon that they liked to use was Um, A stuff called shiga wire which was an actually an extrusion grown by a plant which was a monomolecular metallic extrusion that had an incredible tensile strength but yet was like a a micron in diameter which means very small so the thing is that when you take when you take shiga wire and put it around somebody's neck and go like this their head falls off and because it just moves right through there's no resistance to something so thin The sharper the knife, the easier it cuts, right? So this is sharper than the sharpest knife, and it just, so um, you just have to be careful of carrying it from yourself. You know, it'll drop right through your hand. But, so these are the kinds of things that Bene Gesserit, Fremen had to be aware of because they were in common usage. Those things are in common usage today, here, on our planet, in our culture. Um, You don't get to see them much, fortunately, but you should consider them. And um, so Fremen and Benet Gesserit are trained to learn about what they were not supposed to know about. This is just like us. We're being trained to learn about what we're not normally supposed to know about. <clears throat> In some ways, s- the kind of the spiritual work is not natural. It goes against... Uh, kind of like Murphy's Law. It goes against laws of chaos. It goes, we're creating order rather than creating disorder. And things systems tend to move towards disorder. This is just the second law of thermodynamics. You know, uh, um, things will rot, decompose, break. Um, that's how systems go. What we're doing with the work that we're doing is we're making things more, more refined, more systematic, more orderly. And that's, so in order to do that, we have to learn about techniques and procedures and um, practices that we're not supposed to know about. So we are not supposed to know about the things that keep us awake and aware and able to work together as a community in communion and to be free to serve. Those things we're not supposed to know about. Rather, we're supposed to lull ourselves to unconsciousness and sleep using the soporifics or sleep inducing substances of our culture. All the media, you know, everything, alcohol, whatever's out there, TV, movies, all that, magazines, newspapers, grocery stores, shopping malls, all that. So we're also supposed to be trapped by fear and the opposite of self-trust, whatever that is, self-distrust. We're supposed to be trapped by not being able to trust ourselves, so that we have no power, so that we must depend on experts, doctors, lawyers, you know, me- uh, gasoline, car-driven uh, mechanics. We're supposed to, plumbers, we're supposed to not trust ourselves. We're supposed to rely on experts, so we have no power and control over our, our, life and our lives and environments. And then we must rely on the advice of others, and this provides a, a population of cattle that is completely controlled and controllable, and predictable, and you know can be so you can so that you can be used by others for their purposes. That's that's how we're supposed to be. So, the training that we have in this school is really we're being trained to do the same level of work as the Bene Gesserit and the Fremen as described in Dune. So in order to be black sheep and to still survive, in order to do what we have chosen to do but not be too much of a problem, you know, not be a target for a sandworm, we have to essentially be invisible to the outside world. On on Arrakis, the way to be invisible is to not walk with a steady beat. There are many other ways or things that we have to learn about in order to be invisible. It is a fundamental practice of ours to be invisible in our work. But in order to be invisible, we must first have a tacit understanding of what it is that makes us seen and heard. We first have to realize how it is that we can stand out. And if we don't realize that this thing that we're doing is making us stand out, then we certainly have no possibility of being invisible. We must know instinctually what not to do to create chaos for ourselves. We must know what it is that makes noise and attracts attention and disturbs the sleeping world or disturbs a space. So Mr. Lee's given us hundreds of hints to, about, about that. Every time we have an after-dinner talk, talk or a darshan, he is speaking, I'd say even 20, 25 percent about exactly that, giving us direction and training us and teaching us on what it means to be invisible. He's, it's a basic practice for us. But in order to practice it, we have to practice. You know We must train ourselves. And that's, that's what I was talking about up here, about the way the mind will lean under stress is strongly influenced by training. It's up to us to train ourselves. So the practice of noiselessness, the practice of noiselessness is a very basic and practical practice. It is, it is really a technique or method for how to stay awake. And what I'd like to do, you know, rather than continuing to talk about quotes from the book and kind of ideas and philosophy is at this point get pretty practical get very specific about the practice of noiselessness and just go over some things that we could use as reminding factors or ways of practicing and training our attention to um, train ourselves to be invisible as i'm going down this list why don't you um, chime in with your own versions of the same thing? I'm going to start at pretty basic and go to more and more refined. So as I'm, as I'm throwing these out and you think of some that you're aware of that other people may not be aware of, go ahead and just shout them out. So one, these are all, this is the practice of noiselessness. So. a lot of the things that I will say or that we will talk about have to do with regards also to spaces and protocol. Noise will destroy a space, and I don't just mean noise like shutting a door, slamming a door too loud. Certainly uh, one of the practices of noiselessness is to learn how to open a door, turning the, you know, gripping the door in a way that doesn't rattle it, turning it in a way that doesn't jam it to the end and make a noise, open it smoothly and slowly so that it doesn't jerk off the, off the, um, you know, the uh, door sill, and open it slowly enough so that if somebody's on the other side, they don't get hurt or knock anything over, move through the door and release the handle in a way that it doesn't go sh back to the original position, step by the door so your clothing doesn't catch on the doorknob or the little catch lever and rattle it or bump the door with your foot and then do the reverse on the other side is to touch the door, move the hatch, close the door silently without it bumping and release the hatch. it's It's possible to do that as a standard practice for yourself which means that every time you move through a door you could wake up. You could use this practice every time you walk through a door and open the door and shut it to stay awake. I have 53 of these, and you'll come up with more. Sneezing, coughing, farting, burping in certain spaces makes noise and destroys a space or makes chaos for yourself is a problem. It's the kind of thing that would distract everybody's attention and cause a sandworm to come get you. It's the same thing. So not only the noise of farting, but the stink of farting can disturb a space. There are spaces in which it's inappropriate to fart because it will make noise, make olfactory noise. Wearing perfume, many of you know that that's just not a practice here, but wearing perfume creates this huge noise around you. You walk, a person wearing perfume, when they walk by, you, you smell them. It's this noise, it disturbs a space. Perfume comes also in hairspray, and these little lip balm, you know, chapstick things, these like strawberry and like mocha flavored chapstick things, you know, comes in deodorant. But on the other hand, if you're not using deodorant and not washing yourself or not washing your clothes, you create this other kind of stink. And that also is noise and disturbs the space. So you're not being noiseless going around when you haven't had a shower for four days or you're wearing a shirt that you've worn all week. The same thing can be creating noise if you don't floss or brush your teeth and you're singing RRT behind somebody. This cloud goes around them of this kind of, like, dark odor. There's a, there's, these are just things to be aware of, of ways that you can remember to cr- to not to be noiseless. The practice is the practice of noiselessness. Moving around, simply squirming, makes your clothes, you know, or the chair squeak, or your clothes make this sound, or a jerky sudden move Attracts somebody's attention. You know, you see a jerky move and and everybody looks. So you're creating noise by you're getting other people's attention without, you know, you're taking attention without needing to. You're You're not doing it on purpose. You're just creating noise. Toilets. Toilet seat. When you put a toilet seat up, it goes BAM! It's possible to put a toilet seat up noiselessly. Now for men, I want to teach you the practice of noiseless urination. It is possible for men to, not, to make a lot less noise peeing. Now, if you pee in the middle of the water that's in a toilet, it goes <laughs> like this in water, and it splashes all over. Seriously, when, you know, when the water hits there, it makes water come up and go all over the room, and it, it stinks <laughs> up the room. Is this true? Yes. I know. <laughs> well, if you've ever cleaned up around a man, cleaned a toilet around a man who doesn't practice noiseless urination, you will know that there's <laughs> pee splashed all over the toilet, all over the floor, all over the cabinet, you know, and it's really it reeks. If a man pees sitting down, this is the problem solved? But if a man pees standing up, it doesn't pee into the water. Not only if he hits the side of the toilet and banks it into the water, not only is it quiet, it also doesn't splash, and you can you spend the time kind of washing away little pieces of shit that are stuck <laughs> on the toilet. It's a multifunctional, it's a wonderful practice. I don't I don't know why we don't have a class in this in school, you know. How to pee and not make a mess for yourself. You know, really, you can, you can go two weeks without cleaning your toilet if you practice noiseless peeing. <laughs> so, cracking your knuckles, cracking your neck, cracking your back. These are all kinds of ways to make noise. Most people who do that do it out of their awareness. So, if you have a wish, see, just before you crack your knuckles, you have this feeling. There's this <laughs> bodily sensation, this urge, this need that you have to crack your spine you got this like use that rather than to crack your spine use it to stay awake use it to remember yourself or remember God use it as a way to wake up that there's and just tolerate it see what's going to happen is and rather than going asleep and being unconscious what you're going to do is use that for a way to stay awake by learning to tolerate what is now presently intolerable for you See, that sensation just before you crack your knuckles or crack your neck is intolerable right now if you do that. Learn to tolerate that, and not only will you not create noise and chaos by cracking your neck and bones, you won't get arthritis later on in your life, and um, you will also um, stay awake. Use it as a practice to stay awake. So, bumping people when you walk by. I have a theory that that's mostly not an accident. It's mostly on purpose, subconsciously. Um, When you're walking by somebody, instead of actually walking by them, accidentally kick them in the foot, you know, or bump into them, really there's, um, it's probably pretty intentional, whether you know it or not. So, So when you move by people, don't bump them. Talking loudly in different spaces creates all kinds of noise. Um, in this hallway, for example, in Arrakis, the, in the men's and women's bathroom, if you talk in there, the noise echoes down that hall like a like a megaphone. There are people's living and sleeping quarters, children are trying to take naps down there at any hour of the day or night, so by speaking loudly in that space, it's you're making terrible noise for yourself, karmic, really dangerous karmic noise for yourself, let me tell you. If you do that same kind of noise in the uh, little hallway right outside the Darshan Hall, um, we've been asked many times to regard the space just outside where the coats and shoes are as sacred as inside the hall, and not... So a lot of people, they walk outside, and immediately after meditation, nanny, nanny, did you see a lot of, did you see, that na, about talking about movies, about plans for the day. Wait. You know, put your coat on with regard for your coat. Put your shoes on with intention. Put your right shoe on first before your left shoe all the time as a practice, and, and use it to wake up rather than use it as a time to begin. You don't begin your middle world day yet. Like, um, spend a little time outside of the actual hall in that, putting your clothes on, as with regard and respect, as if you were housing a sacred space, you know, as if you were putting the clothes and shoes on to a sacred space. Do it like that. That's a totally different way, and don't... don't be aware of where you're talking loudly. For example, um, late at night after tavern, if you've got your car parked down over here, out in that lot, Where we're supposed to park our cars, if you're out there and you go there late at night and you are talking to somebody or slam your door, um, Mr. Lee's room is right there. You're waking him up by out there turning, you know, slamming the doors, talking and yakking and laughing out there um, in that lot. You making be aware of where you're doing making noise because because you're you're um, you're making chaos for yourself we've been leaving your car running outside the office makes noise. Now it's not just the noise of the engine running. There's a very powerful electromagnetic radiations that come from a car. There's thousands of volts sparked across a spark plug every time a a piston fires. That noise radiates all over the building. When um, You may not be sensitive to it, other people are. That kind of noise not to mention just the sound noise and the exhaust fumes, um, really disturbs this space. So when you put your car there, turn it off, and then do your business and go back in, even if it's for a minute. Dropping or not picking up a piece of trash. There's a story about Arnaud, on his ashram, dropping a piece of litter and counting how many minutes it took before somebody noticed it and picked it up. if Mr. Lee did that here, you'd have to get one of these like uh, you know forty-eight hour kinds of you know watches, you know. <laughs> but walking by a piece of trash and not picking it up, awareness breeds responsibility. If you're aware of the trash, you're responsible for picking it up. If you're aware this is a generalizable law. If you're aware of it, you've got responsibility for it. Leaving dishes not washed or not put away leaving tools from the tool shed outside longer than when you're done using them even in the garden bringing back a car low on gas or making somebody come look for you to get the keys back for one of the cars this is noise it's just noise <clears throat> leaving things not completed like coming in taking your shoes off and not putting them on the shelf or doing laundry putting them up on the line and leaving them there for a week those are just you're just creating noise by not completing that job side talking during talks during during an after dinner talk if you've got middle world business to take care of and you speak about it in in there it definitely disturbs the space you can feel it even more so in darshan even more so in tavern. So, speaking about the middle world in those spaces, business, little things, that really makes noise. Talking, yeah. Improper clothing, like jeans in the Darshan Hall, or walking around the ashram in a too skimpy of a bathing suit, like that. Both of those are improper clothing and create noise. answering more than what is asked a question is you know a question is very specific and it requires a certain response if we don't train ourselves to respond to the exactly what the question is we're creating noise we're saying unnecessary stuff we're not answering the question and we're probably making big thumping noises and attracting a sandworm and we're just making noise. Being late, arriving in a space at the last minute or less than 10 minutes early, creates noise. Bad timing, just not being in sync with the space, asking a question before a previous question has been completed. It's a really excellent training for timing. Interrupting unnecessarily, Um, you know, Dacia is, is really excellent at uh, paying attention to not disturbing a space. He's really excellent. There, there are some people who are models for that, and if you can figure out who they are and pay attention to what they're doing in the same way that a Bene Gesserit woman would pay attention to details, um, you can learn a whole lot hanging out with certain people for five minutes. If you, if you have an opportunity to just hang out in the office with Mr. Lee for five minutes and see what he does do and what he doesn't do with regards to making noise, or anytime you're with Mr. Lee, pay attention in this regard to him, you will learn a tremendous amount about what it means to not make noise. Mr. Lee is, is noiseless. He moves, he moves through not making unnecessary noise entering or leaving a chamber, any chamber. A chamber is a space. A space is two people are out here having a conversation, um, you know, because they're, they're doing like a support group conversation out here, and you, you're walking in here. If you throw a comment this way, or interrupt the space unnecessarily, or move in and out of even this space here, while, th- while this space is going on over here, not being aware of it, you're interrupting the space and creating noise. There's a way to move through, enter and leave spaces without disturbing the space. Not being elegant is making noise. We're starting to move into finer levels of making noise. Um, That doesn't mean the effects of making the noise are any less. It just means it takes more attention and more uh, training to be aware of how you're making noise. So when I say not being elegant, one must first try to figure out what it means to be elegant. And that's an, that's an excellent question to work with. What does it mean to be elegant in all areas, in all domains? What does that mean? Not being elegant is making noise. Not taking care of your responsibilities. Not keeping your promises. Not doing what you said you're going to do at any level, makes noise. Leaving the gate open, even for a few minutes, just as an elegant, you know, the ashram is as it is with the gate closed. I mean, that's that's how the ashram is. When the gate's left open, there's a very distinct shift. It's not the same ashram anymore. I'm talking about the front gate out here in the driveway when the gate's left open it's not energetically the same. When you close the gate, you can actually feel the difference between having an ashram with the gate open and having an ashram with the gate closed. I mean, that's that's almost like an example of elegance. The ashram is elegant with the gate closed and it's not, not as elegant with the gate open. Leaving things unhandled or untended, such as your children's needs, Figuring out what your kids need before they need it. Handling it with whoever needs to handle it before a problem results, before before anybody has to ask you to handle it. Handling a thing before somebody has to ask you to handle it. If somebody has to ask you to handle something, that's noise. Making people worry about spreading your cold. I'm gonna, we only have about a couple minutes left before I want to do something with Elise right here in this space, just before we leave. So I want to just read these without doing any comments on them. Not really listening. Driving too fast on the ashram. Making parents worry. Being in other people's spaces. I don't mean just physical spaces, I mean their being space. When you're in another person's space, it makes chaos and noise for them. Needing to control a space or a situation. The need or the urge to want to control the space is noise in that space. Being neurotic in any of its forms looking in a certain way creates noise denial of the effects of your noise on other people and spaces no one will notice this someone else will handle this for me someone will cover for me being in denial about that kind of stuff in a space sets up an electrical circuitry a charge that's dissonant to the space and it creates noise in the space using more energy than is necessary to do a job creates noise working hard instead of smart creates noise internal chatter blaming justifying resenting that kind of stuff that's just noise imagining about the future worrying about the, that's noise being offended is noise by anything laughing inappropriately And the last one I have here is, thinking that nothing is happening, is noise. These are are the kinds of practices of a Fremen and a Bene Gesserit living in a siege, surviving on a desert planet. And that's, that's the opportunity, the invitation that we have. I want to give you another invitation right now And it's um, a totally off-the-wall, amazing invitation. And that is to um, offer something of yourself, to give us an impression of yourself. Um, Elise is going to pass out some pieces of aluminum foil. What we'd like you to do is take take your face and make a face with your face. And take the piece of aluminum foil, place it over your face, and spend about a half of a minute making all the fine details, indentations of the aluminum foil of your face. So that we're going to get an impression of your face on the aluminum foil. The children are creating a space tonight, and we're going to be using these as your contribution to creating the space of the, tonight's walkthrough. We're going to be, we'll take these back carefully and we'll use them as decorations. And you, in this way, you will be contributing and um, pro, helping to create the space in there. So just take your time and then Elise will come by and pick them up again. As soon as you're done, this talk is over, and we will have another talk soon in this very same place. Practice being noiseless. Pay close attention to under your nose and in your eye sockets. Take your time to press in very neatly and carefully all around in those, pick up all the details. Before you take it off, Get the feeling that when you take the aluminum foil off of your face, you are taking off your mask. You are taking off your act. You are taking off your personality and allowing you to show up. Be sure to um, go over the top of your head and the side of your head so that the aluminum foil shapes back to the edges of your head. It gets the shape of your head, too. And then when you're ready, slowly take your mask off and feel yourself peeling off the outer layer of yourself and giving it away.